Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned into the Loan Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and finally in the office studio by lots of demand, and by demand, it's my demand, it's the one, the only, Cindy Velez with United Realty Partners. No, I screwed it up, didn't I, Cindy? Just a little bit. United Real Estate Preferred. So I always say it's you with United. You know, Cindy with United. Okay, Cindy today, if you looked her up, is a realtor, top producing realtor with United. Real Estate Preferred. Real Estate Preferred. But here's how I met her. I met her when she was the who's who at Wells Fargo. Top regional manager previously a branch manager, before that, a rookie loan officer who became a top producing loan officer. You've coached for Xenix. In fact, you're like besties with the owner of Xenix. And now you teach loan officer courses for one of the top independent mortgage bankers in the United States, FBC Mortgage. And oh, by the way, you've heard Cindy's name before if you've listened to several of our episodes. She's one of my favorite bosses ever. Because I once had the luxury of learning and working under Cindy. So I thought, what better person to speak to our audience because she's a badass business boss. She's a mom. She's a wife. She's a realtor. She's a mortgage coach. She's an ex-top producing LO who started as a rookie because we all start somewhere. A top producing branch manager, top producing regional manager. Holy cow, you're a walking, talking wealth of information that we get to sponge off of today. Thank you for having me. And that's quite a buildup for an introduction. <laughs> Hopefully I can live up to your listeners' uh, demands. You, you'll do just fine. Um, and I will try to back down my excitement and I'll take it step by step and question by question. But we we're talking off camera, like what's today going to be like? And I'm like, Cindy, I just want to pick your brain. That's cool. Let's do it. So we're going to pick away. Um, folks, we may jump around, but I promise you, you're not going to want to tune out because there's going to be nuggets dropped throughout the process. Um, I want to start with something we were talking about, what you're doing right now. Right now, you are selling real estate full-time. Yes, I'm full-time. I do have a partner in real estate um, because the, really the industry is moving towards that. Uh, you just really can service your clients better. Um, your span of control is only so much, no matter what you do. You need to build a team around yourself, um, whether it's real estate or whether it's mortgage. And you're also um, coaching loan officers. Yes, I am. Well, I'm coaching in um, in a ground-up type of fashion. So teaching more. Teaching. Okay. Um, teaching industry um, from basically, you know, the nuts and bolts start to finish, uh, the ground floor up. Uh, we start at the very beginning and talk about what's the history of mortgage banking and how did we end up here? And uh, from there, build with you know loan to values uh, ratios, debt ratios. What's the secondary market? You know how are loans sold? How do the financial markets work? Uh, and build all the way through that to where we have uh, you know income, assets, self-employed, structuring of the loans, talking about different types of products. Um, and then once we've gotten all of the foundational pieces together, um, then we really start to work on you know, live transactions and, and deal making and talking about different scenarios and, and that type of thing. So you're doing this um, on behalf of FBC, FBC Mortgage. That's correct. And they're going out and they're hiring loan officers who I'm assuming don't have any experience or much experience. And then they're relying on you to help get them up to speed. Uh, typically, we don't. Uh, that's correct. Typically, the loan officers that are in my 
class in my academy, if you will, um, don't have any experience in the industry. Okay. Um, maybe um, they've decided that the career path they want to take is uh, to enter the uh, mortgage industry and be a mortgage loan originator. So they may already have their license, their national license. Um, some people do take that initiative on their own. And then some of my students are actively seeking their license while they're in class. Now, are all your students LOs or are some going to be loan officer assistants or processors? Um, I don't typically have processors in the class. Um, I'm, you know, I've been in operations. It's part of my background. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily my forte. I, I'm really more of a salesperson, as you know, because you've known me for so many years. Um, but I do have some team MLOs in terms of structure, and sometimes we do have loan coordinators. Okay. Um, but really, those folks are assisting those those rainmaker top producer loan officers. Um, so they need to be able to function within that environment and that kind of that fast-paced world um, that we're living in with mortgage right now. I wish I knew this because I had a caller call in last week. A caller. I had a listener call in last week, and she's up in Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, and she's like, I want to go work for a company that has the type of training that I talk about on the show. And I didn't really know in the, the area of Ohio that, she's, that she is in. Actually, she was from Ohio. Now she's in Michigan. So she's in the Detroit area of Michigan, and I didn't know really where to point her. Mm -hmm. Not that I would know if FPC had a, had a branch in Michigan or not, or in the Detroit area or not, but I at least would have known the name of a company that I respect to say, hey, you may want to reach out to somebody there. Mm -hmm. um, I actually told her to reach out to some of her favorite realtors, mm -hmm. ask her favorite realtors who their preferred lenders are, and then reach out to those lenders to see what type of training they offer to younger, newer professionals in the industry who maybe went out, got their NMLS, but they really still don't know what they're doing. Right. Um, I want to go back. Mm -hmm. What prompted you to enter the mortgage industry when you did? Because you came in with no experience, and did you jump right into sales, or did you have a role before sales? Um, no, I mean this is gonna this is a like real throwback, right? So. I like Biggie and Tupac were still alive? <laughs> like they were probably not even born yet. I no. Um, <laughs> um, I entered the mortgage industry actually in 1984 when I graduated high school. Wow. Um, and I did so because my mom, I was raised, my parents divorced when I was in high school. Um, college wasn't really an option for me at that time just because, you know, my mom was working two jobs to make things happen. And she had gotten a real estate license and she also worked as a secretary at the high school that I went to. And I bet that was fun. Not. Not, right. <laughs> and uh, no, it kind of actually was yeah. fun. There were, there were some perks to it. Okay. Um, but, um, and ask me later and I'll tell you a good story before we wind up on why okay. that's a good one. Okay. Which you'll definitely appreciate. <laughs> um, but so she was working in the real estate industry. And uh, back in the day when you had to go to the office, a different real estate office, and pick up a key from the real estate office to show another house because there was no such thing as lockboxes. There was no such thing, obviously, as MLS and the Internet. And she had to pick up a book from the real estate board every single week that had all the new listings printed in it, like almost like a phone book. It was kind of crazy. Heard, I've heard these horror stories before. Yes. Mind-blowing. Right, right. So she had uh, a friend. And my mom, is, my mom had me when she was 20 years old. And so she had a friend who was 10 years younger than herself and then just 10 years older than I. So she kind of related to both of yeah. us and she had been in real estate and had gotten into mortgage and had started to do very, very well. And I grew up in Boca Raton. And so this why do I think you were from Muncie in Indiana? I was born there. Okay. I lived there till I was 10. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and so uh, Diana kind of got me, you know, an interview with a savings and loan, which those all went bye-bye. Like the list of uh, companies that I've worked for that are no longer <laughs> having been in the mortgage industry for such a long time. And so she connected me with her boss. He said, I don't have anything 
available for somebody who has no experience. And so I pretty much called him every day the entire summer after I graduated while I was still working in retail. And finally, he's like, oh, my God. All right, I'll find something for you to do just so you'll stop calling me. So stop right there only because if some of my non-mortgage professional listeners and viewers are tuned in, which we have quite a bit, and usually they are college-aged or recently graduated. Mm -hmm. I was just having this conversation two days ago at a lunch appointment with two guys that I mentor out at UCF, and they were talking about their friends and their friends' inability to pick up the phone Mm -hmm. and go after what they want. Mm -hmm. And if I heard right, you just said you were told no and you didn't take no for an answer, and you called and you called and you called and you showed that you were persistent, that you weren't going to give up because this is something you had your mind set to. For anyone out there who's aged 19 to 29 and you're not getting what you want from a career standpoint, ask yourself, are you doing what it really takes? Okay, so keep going. That's just, it's it's so relevant in today's Mm -hmm. world. And I find that so few people, especially younger generation who like texting, are willing to to just kind of have that bravado to go after it. Mm -hmm. And where your story, I believe, is going is you ended up getting hired. I ended up getting hired. and, and I, I just, I think I called him every single day because I, I just really needed a job. And I saw that this friend of my mom's was doing very well and I had a desire to make a good living. And I, I, I wanted to be able to be independent. And I was you know, obviously young, but 18. So times were a little different than, than they are now also. Um, he hired me and as like kind of a junior loan officer, I was typing, you know, verifications of deposit, verifications of employment. There, yes, typewriters back then. Um, there was no fax machines then. Uh, everything had to go snail mail. So I, I learned a lot. Uh, and then I was in a processing kind of position for a, about two to three years. Okay. And I'd find that by March, I wouldn't have any sick time left. And I just was really bored because <laughs> I'm really more of a salesperson. The, the behind the desk kind of thing, I mean, that's if it's a great, if it's a model match for you, fantastic because we need everybody in the industry, right? We need a fit, you know, we need the right people in the bus and the right seats no matter what we're doing because we have to build our team. But I just knew it wasn't for me. So then I moved into origination, um, took a hiatus from it um, for a period of time, and then got back into the business. I, I left the business when I was about 24 and got back in when I was 30. That's okay. when I went to home bank and as a, a rookie loan officer. And then kind of that's where our, that, our story starts to unfold a little bit. Correct, there. yeah, because you were a top producer at a mortgage company. It's no longer around, unfortunately, because they were a great company, just um, bad timing. Mm-hmm. But Home Bank Mortgage Corporation, which is how I think I got my start in the business. It's how your husband Jeff got his start in That's the business. Right. Mm-hmm. My business partner David Holbrook, one of our mm-hmm. top producing branch manager Ben Davis. Like we all were there, right. and that's how you and Casey from Zenix became really good friends, right? That's correct. That's which how we she met. was a top producer at that time mm-hmm. at Home Bank as well. Yes, she was. So you guys were both top producers. She was in Atlanta. You were in Florida. Mm-hmm. Kind of friendly competition a little bit. Who's going to outproduce who? Well, I, I don't know that I would have ever outproduced her because okay. she was just, she's a superstar. Um, but, I, you know, the first time I met her, I just was so wowed by her, just had so much respect for her and her energy and her intelligence. And I've never in my life met anyone who has more drive and focus. And I, I just, that just blew me away. And I just like, somebody, when you meet somebody like that and they impact you, you just, you know, you emulate and you want to be like them, you know, it's a role model. So, so you produced, um, got your start at 18, but you said you know, by 24, 26, took a hiatus, got mm-hmm. back into it at 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long did you originate before you became a branch manager? And did, were you a producing branch manager or did you stop producing to manage? I was producing branch manager. Okay. One of the hardest jobs in the mortgage industry. Yes, it is. Um, so 
for anybody who's listening who is, uh, works with a producing branch manager and they find time to balance and be a good leader, make sure you thank them because it's a hard job. Um, I was with Home Bank at 96. Uh, I originated as a originator for four years. Um, before then, I moved to Wells Fargo as a producing branch manager and actually opened my own branch ground floor in the Lake Mary, Florida area. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then from there, it kind of rose the ranks from producing branch manager mm-hmm. to regional manager. Correct. Um, and that's kind of actually where our paths started to cross. I think mm-hmm. you're at that regional level at that standpoint. And then uh, the the home bank connection for anyone, anyone listening who has no idea who home bank is, and you probably won't because they went out of business in like 2007, I believe. Mm-hmm. But those of us who are still around, like we have a bond, we have a connection. Yeah. We still, if you cut into us, there's a little bit of a home bank blue in our blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it's, a, it's a, just a commonality. I can go to North Carolina, I can go to Jacksonville, I can go to Tennessee. And if someone else was at home bank, instantaneously we have that bond. Um, but... Tell me about your time with Zenix. Are you still with Zenix? Uh, no, I'm not with Zenix. Okay, um, but you worked a little bit mm-hmm. um, doing some coaching with them, right? You were a coach? Yeah, well, so some coaching um, in terms of the people who would, you know, maybe experienced people who are working on you know, the Edge series and that type of thing, teaching in that respect. Um, I did, a, actually, we did a lot of traveling. Casey and I had the opportunity to travel quite a bit together. Um, as we took our training out to different mortgage organizations throughout the country. Um, I was with them about three years. Um, traveling is hard, especially when you're a mom mm-hmm. and, you know, you're away from your A kids. dedicated mom involved it's, in your daughter's cheer. Like, tough. yeah. Yeah. So it, it just, you know, the, the traveling became a little bit too much, but it was such incredibly valuable experience. Um, and Casey and I would, uh, our, I think our best training we did was it was just basically a, a workshop type training so training is always the best if you get people involved and so we had a, a recruiting workshop for managers who were looking to recruit loan officers um, with lots of tips and then we had a purchase workshop um, because at the time we were starting to come out of you know the refinance boot after all the harp loans mm-hmm. and move into a purchase market which ultimately is going to happen in the very near future again so people had forgotten how to go out and obtain purchase business, which is really what is sustainable in our industry. So we would do this great workshop and, you know, get people together for two days. And it's just, it was good. It's high energy. And so we did a lot of that together. And then I would teach them, obviously, some online classes through WebEx and everything a couple of times a day I got well. to be a part of one of those courses. <laughs> yeah, that's You right. know, I still today run a sales meeting based on how Casey taught it. And that was probably nine years ago or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing that I took from her was start every sales meeting with music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Have, have music playing. It sets the tone. It sets the mood. All right. So now that we have laid your background, mm-hmm. right? People have a good sense of who is Cindy, right? Don't just take my word for it. You just took her word for it. I want to pepper you with questions. Okay. Okay. Because we, we have a lot of loan originators, especially younger in their career loan originators who, who are tuning in. Um, we have realtors who tune in. We have branch managers and regional managers, and we have some CEOs that, that tune in and listen. I got a text from um, a VP at a local, not a local, but at a national mortgage insurance. Hey, love the podcast. I had no idea this person actually tuned in, but they're tuning in. So you mentioned purchase market, going after purchase business. So not, I mean, ex-top producing loan officer, top everything in the mortgage industry, but now a realtor, talk to our loan officer listeners. Mm -hmm. They need to focus on the purchase business. Mm -hmm. 
what are the three things that they need to be doing in order to properly focus on the purchase business? Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Like when it rings, well, pick it up. Pick up the phone and make an outbound call and talk to somebody about their business. Ooh, okay. I thought you meant like, oh, when the phone rings, make sure you like make a priority to, to pick it up. And, and you're saying pick up the phone and call somebody. Yeah. Uh, my partner and I sold about $18 million in real estate in 2019 and about 12. We were a little off last year just with COVID and things that were happening. And obviously I got very busy with mortgage too, um, which is, as Dustin will probably validate, that's good production. That's, that, that puts you in the top 2%, maybe even 1% in most markets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are in the top 500 in Orlando. Yeah. And, and that's 500, uh, ladies and gentlemen, out of like 12,000. There's 12,000 realtors in the greater Central Florida area mm -hmm. and Cindy and her partner in the top 500. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So can I give a shout out to my partner really quick? Yeah, please I do. Not yes. Michelle Kreischer, I could, not all of this could happen without her. She's a great team, like just like you and JCR. All right, perfect. Thank okay. you. So um, in terms of, you know, purchase market, what are you doing? I see that um, loan officers need to realize or, or become more aware that the purchase market is the sustainable business. It's what's going to drive the economy. Uh, rates are going to go up and the low hanging fruit on the refis is going away. And if you're looking at your pipeline and you're doing more than 50% refinance business right now, you need to start a shift immediately. And you should be freaked the F out. Yeah. That would be my terminology, not Cindy's, but you're yeah, right. 50, right. if more, you're, you said if more than 50% of your more business is refi, yeah, you should be freaking out yeah. a little bit. Honestly, it really shouldn't be more than 25, and that 25% should come from closed customers. But if you're new to the industry, you've got to start somewhere, and, you know, you can get your feet with, with refis, too. It's a good way to learn. It's a good mm -hmm. learning tool, right? You're not going to, excuse me if you need to edit this out, but you're not going to screw up somebody's purchase closing when they've got their, you know, furniture on a moving truck and things yeah. don't happen the way they should because they already own the house and it's refinanced. So if there's a mistake, it's a little bit easier tolerated. All day long, I tell people you can't screw up a refi. Right. Very rarely. Now, Unless you set more expectations. Or divorce situations or someone has to pull money out for a very specific reason. Mm -hmm. You know, daughter needs surgery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can maybe screw that one up. Yes. But most refinances you can't screw up. Right. It's a great way to get started. It sure is. So those entering the industry had the benefit of at least, you know, two and a half rates right mm -hmm. now. You know. But eventually everybody in America is going to have a mortgage that's at two and a half percent. And there's not going to be a reason to refinance anymore. Or at least the large majority that we can refinance yes. with. <clears throat> so with purchase business, and I, I see a lot of loan officers looking at, you know, they, they want to get the whale, right? Um, they want to land the big account right out of the gates. That, that's just probably not realistic. It's you a mean, great goal. You mean by whale, you're talking about as a loan originator, I'm trying to target the biggest, baddest real estate agent in my market who sells the most homes. Right. Um, and you're saying. Who? Mm -hmm. Who already has relationships. Yeah, multiple. Right. right. Yeah. Um, they've been in the industry a long time if they're doing that much business. And so you're going after somebody who's top, top producer and you're brand new. It might not be the best fit. However, that top, top producer most likely is scaling a team, right? They're scaling a team. They have new people. How are they going to attract talent? They're going to attract talent to their team because they're going to people and the real estate industry join experienced realtors the same as somebody joins Waterstone and comes to work with you because they want to learn from them mm -hmm. and new to the industry. Um, the best way. So find the team rather than just going after, you know, the top of the house and going out, you know, after the person who's the top, top producer. Find the team. Find out who's newly licensed and, you know, partner with those folks. Reach out to the transaction coordinator on the team, right? The transaction coordinator on the team or the team lead, that's the person who's setting up all the vendors and all of the relationships. Because that person who is working and that top producing level, they don't have time to be caught in the daily minutiae. They just want to know that they have good 
good, reliable referral sources to work with. So I think that's a start there. I like that. Pick up the phone. Pick up, pick up the phone. Yeah. Pick up the phone. You know, if you can't see somebody in person, which I really think you probably can, um, but, you know, go pick up the phone because I, I see a lot of realtors out. Realtors are doing open houses. Realtors are doing broker opens. You know, we're out there working. We've been done essential, the same as mortgage, and have been working since the middle of March 2020 like everybody else. Um, don't text me. Don't don't text me. Ooh wee. Don't don't text me, and especially don't text me. You just had some butthole puckers right and there. Holy cow! It made some people feel uncomfortable. Yeah, probably. Okay. And especially don't text me with a text that's so long it breaks itself up into two or three parts. Yes. Because I'm just going to delete. Right. Um, but if you do call me, make sure you're calling me with something of value. Right. And I think that's the hardest part. It's the what do you say. How do you deliver the value to get somebody to want to talk to you, to want to return your call? So that's just the fear. That's the call reluctance. We all have it. I mean, it's just innate. But you just have to remember, the more you pick up the phone, the more no's you get, you're closer to that one yes, right? Yeah, and the better you get, too. I mean, right. the, the more practice. times you fumble all over yourself, mm -hmm. you'll fumble less the next time, less the next time. And then if you start buying into James Clear's Atomic Habits, 1% better every day, mm -hmm. eventually, after doing something for 30 days, you'll be, I mean, exponentially better than you were on day one. Mm -hmm. um, so how about this? So you're, you're training younger. I say younger. Younger to me is younger in their career. Sometimes younger is also younger because they're younger in life. Yes. Um, but you're training mortgage professionals, the future leaders in this industry. Mm -hmm. What excites you about uh, what you're seeing in your classroom? What also concerns you about what you're seeing in, in your classroom? So what excites me is when someone's because we're obviously in a virtual environment. Mm -hmm. uh, what excites me is when someone is asking good, thoughtful questions, asking the question beyond the question, right? So what's the scenario if this, right? lets me know that they're paying attention and they're really taking it seriously because it's easy to become distracted. It's easy to sit at home in a virtual environment and have your screen open to, you know, what we're working through Microsoft Teams on and then, you know, be shopping at, you know, Target or, you know, J. Crew at the same time. You know, you, yeah. you can multitask. You can do these things. It's very obvious to me who's paying attention just based on the questions that they're asking. It also lets me know what their enthusiasm is for what they're doing, why they've decided to do it. Um, that's a big driver for me when I'm speaking to somebody and kind of like, why do you, what drives you to get into the industry? Um, I'll be very honest. And if somebody tells me the first thing is because I can make so much money, I get so nervous. Yeah. Um, I, as you mentioned, I'm from Muncie, Indiana. My parents taught me one thing very, very well. And that is you work hard and the money follows. You focus on the dollars. You're never going to take care of people the right way. And you know that, you and I have had that conversation many, many times, right? It's, it's hard. Yeah. You know? So when a loan officer, I'm working with a loan officer, and they can tell me exactly what their paycheck is going to be based on their pipeline, I know they're not paying attention to customer service. No, and I've, I have witnessed that. I've experienced it firsthand, but I've witnessed it. Uh, you're right. The loan officers who have the best customer service reviews and typically close the most business, they can tell me how many units they're closing. They can tell right. me how many families they're helping. Exactly. Some of them, and I actually give kind of give them a hard time about this. They don't even check their commissions. I go, you still have to check your commissions. Like, like, please double check what our accounting system is putting out there to make sure you're getting paid appropriately. Right. But to them, like, ah, oh, the number, the, the the check came in it was more than I need. 
made me super happy to see that hit my my mm-hmm. account, and I'm gonna go help another seven or twelve families this 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 month right. or next month. Right, exactly. And then pick up the phone and thank all those people who closed a loan with you and ask them for a referral too. Yeah. So you know, it, it's again, you know, it's it's just it's communicating so, and sales. Yeah. So you're you're looking when when you're teaching, mm-hmm. you're looking for that person who has the childlike curiosity, who's asking why. Mm-hmm. Well, why this? Well, but what does that really mean? Right. Um, what what concerns you? Like when, when you're when you're an instructor and you're teaching, mm-hmm. what are some some things that pop up, whether they're questions or whether they're behaviors or mannerisms that, based on your experience, I mean, you've recruited hundreds of of loan originators into the business. Mm-hmm. Some end up being top producers. Some end up being duds. You have a good litmus of what works and what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. When you're in this teaching environment, what's concerning you? Well, what concerns me today is probably the exact same thing that concerned me in 2005. Um, and that's the people who are getting into the industry kind of for the wrong reasons. If you're if you're not in this business ultimately because you have a servant heart and you want to help people, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons because it's a very stressful business, and you are toying with one of the most important financial decisions and purchases in their life. Not to mention one that is tied to an extreme amount of emotion, right? And to to, to, to focus on just, I, I just, I want to get in this industry. When somebody says to me now, as they did back in 2005, I want to get in the mortgage business because it's the hot business right now, because it's the go-to business, because yeah. it's where I'm going to make the money. Everybody's getting in a mortgage, so I want to get in mortgage. And that's when I just go, oh, no, no. Yeah. It's, you know, so, it, you know, I, I see those same trends. And then you see, a, a, you know, a lack of engagement and people asking, you know, questions as it relates to really more themselves, sort of um in a, in a classroom environment, it's, it's more of a self-centered type of question, right? About how is this going to help me as opposed to how am I going to help somebody else? Like, am I learning what I need to learn so I can help someone achieve the dream of homeownership? Yeah, you are talking earlier um, off camera about um, the hours worked. Mm-hmm. In your experience, someone entering into the mortgage industry or just someone in general who works real estate mm-hmm. or mortgage, mm-hmm. What type of hours should that person anticipate needing to work? All the time. Almost. You have to have some work-life balance, but it is the type of industry, whether it is real estate or mortgage, that can consume you and will consume you when you first enter into it. And you have to be prepared at least for the first two years to probably be dedicated to 60 to 65 hours a week. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, I like you saying it. I can sit on this microphone and say it all day long, but to have you come in sometimes and and someone like you, it's like, oh, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Like I'm hearing this multiple times over. I tell anyone that I hire, like, look, this job sucks. It's super rewarding and very fulfilling and you can make a ton of money, but it's retail. Mm -hmm. In retail, the customer is always right. In retail, you are bending over backwards to make people happy because that's your job. And most times you don't even get a thank you. That's why you get a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And it's a job that you should be prepared to make yourself available nights and weekends. Correct. The earlier you are in your career, the more available you have to make yourself. I'm not preaching you have to work nights and weekends. I'm saying to make yourself available. There's some Saturdays you will work four hours. Mm-hmm. There are some Sundays it's just a matter of answering a text or, or a voicemail right. where all they wanted you to know, and they would be a realtor such as yourself and one of your buyers mm-hmm. had a question whether or not something was a townhome or a condo or whether or not the seller could con- contribute X amount of dollars towards closing costs. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case may be, those are the types of questions. But yeah, early on in your career, and there's going to be nights that, well, 
you came in at 7.30 or 8 and it's 8 o'clock and you're still here, mm -hmm. the good news is there's a, there's a paycheck attached to, to those hours. Mm -hmm. And my buddies who are engineers who put in those hours, their paycheck is usually the same. Right. You know, our paycheck is, is more mm -hmm. typically with those hours that we're working. Mm -hmm. um, are you finding that there's some um, newer professionals that are struggling with the concept of, hey, I need you to work Saturday and Sunday? Absolutely. Um, there's been opportunities presented to some of the newer um, licensed or you know newer hires, and, and maybe it's a maybe it's a builder opportunity to cover for an experienced loan officer. We need you to go out, um, you know, four four weekend days a month. So you know, pick a Saturday or a Sunday. You know, every other weekend you still get a Saturday or a Sunday off, and it's you know the response might be, oh, I can't. I've really I've got like you know until Dustin before we can on, had someone say, oh, I I can't work weekends. I've got like three weddings coming up. You know, so you, you have to prioritize, you know, what is it that you really want? You yeah. know, I mean, I know I want to go to my friend's wedding, right? That'd be awesome to be able to do that. But do I want to build a career? Because it's not always going to be a 65 hours a week. You know, when you build it up with a referral business and it becomes steady and you've got closed customers, it, I mean, it, it does become a lot more manageable. And then at that point too, you've built up your business so you can scale a team. And I think that the point you make about, you know, sometimes it's only just a text on the weekends from, and, and that's that's a cool text. I have no issue with well, that Well, that's a text amongst friends, right? Exactly. I mean, you and I text, exactly. hey, I'm going to be five minutes late. Hey, do you need me to bring anything? Right. Like, yeah. we know each other. You're saying don't text me if I don't know you. Exactly. Right. And to try all, to get my business. Yeah, and only text me if it's only like maybe 15 to 25 characters. Right. Do not text me a freaking novel. Right. Call me if that's the case. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, you made a very good point, and I just for those that are thinking about getting into the industry or new to the industry. So uh, the biggest difference between real estate and, and mortgage, in my view, is that uh, mortgage is, although you work a lot of hours in both, mortgage is a lot more manageable in terms of controlling your own time. Um, as a real estate agent, you have to get in the car and go show people houses. There's no getting around it. You have to take buyers out. You have to go out and see sellers if you want to list a property, right? So, so your time is controlled more so by your clients mm -hmm. than it is in mortgage because the beauty of mortgage is yeah i can say hey i make my friday phone call right i'm working this weekend give me a call but i could be working from new smyrna beach and i could run in and you know go into the you know condo or whatever and do a quick pre-call and come back out and it took me 20 minutes and i wasn't in the car with somebody showing them property for four hours so there's a there's a big difference there in terms of even though you work the hours you can manage the hours in a much different way than you can in real estate that leads me to my next question, because you've been wildly successful in both real estate and in mortgage. What do you miss about the mortgage industry? And what do you love about the real estate industry? Hmm. What I miss about the mortgage industry is the interaction with people like Dustin. I miss, I, I just, I, I miss all my peers. Yeah. You know, I miss um, the challenge of a tough file when you can get somebody to the closing table. Um, so those are things that I, I, you know, I miss that a lot. Um, anything, I, anything you don't miss? I miss um, compliance, yeah. tread. <laughs> Regulation. <laughs> oh, my God, tread. You, you might not know this. You have to know this because you're teaching at FPC Mortgage. So the new Uniform Residential Loan Application, mm -hmm. the new ERLA, mm -hmm. I don't know if FPC has rolled it out yet. We rolled it out on Feb 1. Mm -hmm. Freaking nightmare it is it takes trid and mm -hmm. makes trid look like it's kindergarten mm -hmm. and this is like um college calculus mm -hmm. in terms of the changes yeah 
And there's nothing we can do about it. Like, nope. like none of us that run mortgage companies ro- raised our hand like, yeah, we can't wait to do this. No, it's bestowed upon us. Mm-hmm. So yes, you're not missing anything right now mm-hmm. because you went from having branches full of subject matter experts. They knew their loan origination software. They knew how to structure a deal, run AUS. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, that was just like ripped up, thrown up in the air. Right. And it's like, oh, yeah, piece that back together. Good luck. Right. So, it yeah, is. you're not missing the new Erla. Yeah. I want to do, a, cl- I do a, a show on the new Erla. Mm-hmm. I just haven't figured out how we could teach it. Yeah, I, I, it's, it would be difficult because it's very visual, and the differences between the 1003 and the new Erla, the old and the new, are, are pretty significant. Yeah, and, and, and those that are listening that are more seasoned, just know this, because a lot of my friends that work at the competitor, they're not rolling out the new Erla until next week. Yeah, we're, I think March 1. March 1? I think maybe. Or, it, it, yeah. you, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, nonetheless, it's it's not even so much having to learn it. Like I was talking to my friend Randy, you know Randy Gazinski at Radian. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was talking to Randy yeah. the other day. She's like, oh, you should hop on one of our trainings. And I love my MI companies. MI companies give some of the best trainings. I tell all the, anyone I listening, do. you know, reach out to your local MI rep. Typically the trainings are free, et cetera. But I'm like, Randy, I don't need someone to teach me what the form is and how to read the form. Mm-hmm. I need someone to talk to Ellie May and Compass, D-U-L-P, Curl factual data because none of those folks and their computer systems are currently talking and get along. So I try to run something through AUS and it's a out of scope mm-hmm. error. I'm like, what? Oh my, what? I don't know what error. I don't. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, you work on a 1003 for decades. Well, you know, oh, maybe if I just go clear out this one form, uh, click this box again and rerun. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Oh, no. So a simple pre-approval that would have taken us 20 minutes is sometimes taking like 60 minutes Mm. just because we don't know what box to unclick. Right. You know, we don't know why that information isn't flooding over properly. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a nightmare. So I've actually gotten to a point to where I told my team like, hey, once you guys get this like really figured out, I'm just going to take a course like I'm a rookie loan officer and let you reteach me how to take a loan application and run it through AUS. Um, so compliance, you don't miss compliance. Sorry about that rabbit hole guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you don't miss compliance, which I totally understand. Yeah. What, what do you love about real estate? Cause you've been a full-time realtor for, has ten, it been five years? 10 years. 10 years. Wow. 10 years, 2010. Um, till now, uh, 21, I guess. Um, what I love about real estate. Um, I love the flexibility of real estate. Um, I love that. This is the one thing I love about real estate where mortgage used to excite me is that I love the connection with the customer. Mm -hmm. And in mortgage, we don't get the connection with the customer like we used to because we actually used to meet people face-to-face and take their application face-to-face, and now everything's electronic. And so you could go through an entire transaction and never meet anyone face-to-face, especially with COVID because some title companies won't even let you attend the closings. Right. So I, I love that you develop a relationship with people. I mean, as as a real estate agent, if I've worked with a buyer or a seller for a period of time, and think about though too, I mean, the the sales cycle of a real estate agent versus a loan officer is two or three times longer, right? You you have somebody in pipeline as a realtor for a lot. Oh longer yeah, you're right. Yes. Than you do in mortgage. And Unless they're a listing in today's day and age, then you might <laughs> yeah. meet them once, put a sign in their yard, and three <laughs> weeks later you're closing. Maybe every <laughs> once in a while there's an easy. Um, but I, I miss that interaction because, like to me, like closing day is kind of like sometimes the sad day. I'm like, oh man, I've gotten so used to seeing you and hanging out, and we'll go out and look at houses and that, and 
like you make friends and you sort of yeah. Is it, is it kind of like being back in school and it's summer break and you're like oh mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of like that like yeah. you know I'm like happy for you guys but sad for me because I don't get to see you much anymore yeah you know so that's what I really love about real estate too um what do you look for in your loan officers mm-hmm. like as a realtor mm-hmm. as a realtor what impresses you like what differentiates a top loan originator whether it's someone who's originating, who's representing the buyer and you had the listing, mm-hmm. or whether it's, it's your buyer and your buyer might have called your husband, who, who's a, a licensed loan originator, mm-hmm. or they might have come with their own lender. Mm-hmm. What, what is it that you look for in, in loan officers as a realtor? Okay. Um, as a realtor, um, I look for loan officers' communication. And that's not just a, giving me an update on a loan. Um, it's communication and making the process feel less cumbersome for them, for the buyer than it is. Um, you deal with people and, you know, even if, and I can attest to this too, let's say you, you're living with somebody who has lived in their home for 10 years, 12 years, and now they want to purchase a new home, move up, maybe buy a second home, something of that nature. For all intents and purposes, that mortgage process is completely different than it was 12 years ago. Yes, It feels nothing the same. Um, and it's very stressful. I mean, my husband and I bought a place at the beach. It's been a long-time goal for us. The, but we actually closed last January. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I teach this stuff, and I forgot how stressful uh, it is. I So full disclosure, when I onboard rookie loan officers, I always tell the story like I just bought a house. And it actually was nine years ago. But it feels like I go, I just bought a house. I help run a mortgage company. I've been in this game for like well, at the time a decade, now going on two decades. And I make a joke out of it. I'm like, but I could have swore my wife and I almost got divorced three times Mm -hmm. going through the home buying process. And I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So, and I teach that because I want loan originators and realtors to keep that, that in mind that we do this for a living and it was stressful for you and Jeff and it was stressful for me and Michelle. Mm -hmm. Imagine what our buyers and sellers and our, and our borrowers are going through. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to, to carry that empathy Mm -hmm. with us when we consult with them. Right. Be a proactive communicator, but also be a clear and concise communicator. Um, remember that they don't know all your mortgage jargon and acronyms and that type of thing. You know, try to make the process as seamless and easy as possible. Explain the, what the disclosure documents are. Don't say, oh, hey, you're going to get 65 pages of disclosures and you just sign them electronically and send it back. At least give somebody an overview of what they're looking at and what they're signing and why they're signing it and what the regulations are. And feel free to read through them and you can download a copy also, right? Thank you for saying that. Loan officers who are listening, I get it. You want to electronically disclose. I want to electronically disclose. It is way easier. way easier. Period. End of story. Give your borrower the option. Ma'am or sir, would you like for me to schedule 20 minutes to hop on the call with you at a certain time and and I'll be on the phone when you go through your disclosures? Mm-hmm. Give them the option. You may hear no. Cool. You hear no, you move on. But at least give that person the option. And don't take my word for it. Take Cindy Velez's word for it. Yeah. I mean, you'll probably... You'll set a better foundation for the communication with the customer because you will have answered a lot of questions up front that are going to come up later in the process anyway. So why not spend that time up front and then you don't have to get involved later or have an issue later, yeah. right? So, um, And then, you know, just I, you're my trusted referral partner, the same as my home inspector is and everything else. Please don't freak my buyer out. Like, please don't. 
right? You, you don't please want any don't. 9 p.m. text messages yeah, from a freaked please, out. <laughs> please don't text them and text them and say, oh, I need this bank statement because the underwriter asked and then they think their loan's not going to get approved or something. You know, please just communicate in a way that makes them feel comfortable, right? I don't want a home inspector that's going to tell somebody the house is falling down. If it's not falling down, if it's falling down, then tell them that. But I don't want a loan officer who's going to freak out my buyer at every turn either. Yeah. So, I mean, what I just heard you say is obviously know your stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to know your stuff, mm -hmm. but communicate effectively with you. But more importantly, take care of your client. Mm -hmm. You need your client coming back to you, your buyer coming back to you as a raving fan. Mm -hmm. And you understand that the loan officer is a reflection of you. You need 1, your percent. You need your LO to have your back 1, uh, as a team. Mm -hmm. um, flip the script a little bit. So you're hanging out with your buddies over at FBC mm -hmm. and you guys are interviewing potential people mm -hmm. to onboard, to go through one of your Mortgage 101 courses so that they can launch their career in real estate. What are some key characteristics that you guys are looking for in who you will hire and why? Um, well, looking for, again, and I don't want to sound redundant, but communication is always very key. Um, I kind of laughed back when I was at Wells Fargo and interviewing a lot of loan officers in any given year because it was one of my main roles was to, to build mm -hmm. an area and recruit. Um, I always kind of had this sort of litmus test if I get down the road with somebody. Um, be the person that somebody would actually enjoy going to lunch with or having dinner with, right? If I don't want to have dinner with you, I might not want to work with you, right? And if I don't want to work with you, then maybe the real estate professionals and the builders don't want to work with you either. Be personable, be a good communicator, listen, right? God gave you two ears and one mouth because you're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk. Oh, right? I like that one. Yep. So be a good listener, you know, be engaged in people and be truly interested. Um, I think that's really important. The other piece for me that's extremely important is that somebody needs to be able to have demonstrated a history of being a hard worker. You got to grind it out. You got to have the engine. You got to want to do it. It's not going to be easy. And, you know, when I see somebody, I'm going to give you a, a, a great example, a, a gal that I trained and she was rookie of the year last year. Um, she closed in her first year, $38 million in business. Holla. That's yeah. fantastic. Brand new to the industry. She what market? Uh, she's out in Colorado. Okay. Um, so she has a little higher average loan amount, um, but it's still a lot of work and brand new to the industry. Yeah. Right. And uh, she... Her, she was in an environment where, um, believe it or not, her stepdad was actually in the mortgage business when she was graduating high school. And in 2008, everything kind of fell apart. And her parents told her, you can go to college, but you got to work your way through. Yeah. So she worked her way through by working retail um, to UCF, uh, graduated in four years on time, and just determined that this is what she wanted to do. She wanted to help people, and she was going to make it. And she made it. That gal made it. You know, it's interesting. Um, I had this epiphany the past like six months, um, maybe nine months ago, and I shared it with you off camera. But I even found like listening to you talk, I'm like, oh, I can put this into even even better words. This profession, the mortgage industry, and I'm even going to say real estate industry, and probably most financial advisors and many life insurance salespeople, is a white collar profession for the blue collar worker. Definitely. I mean, it is, you got to be a grinder. You have to understand that there might not be something prestigious about what you do, but you are doing an extremely important role when you look at what mortgage and real estate do for our economy. When you're talking about this is that person's largest sale or purchase of their life, mm -hmm. you can really 
impact someone's life in a very positive manner and you can really screw something up. Mm-hmm. But so that's where I came up with it. So it's white collar, mm-hmm. but you got to be a blue collar worker. You got to be willing to grind. Mm-hmm. It can't be about the title it has to be about the people. Mm-hmm. If it's about the people and you're willing to grind, the money will come. And oh boy, when that money comes, mm-hmm. we're talking heart surgeon money, mm-hmm. you know, like we're talking real life changing money. And if you are happen to be blue collar, imagine the impact you're going to have on your life, mm-hmm. your children, your wife, but then your extended family's life. What can you do? Um, and if you're people like Cindy, people like me, and the people you can bring along the way with you, mm-hmm. you know, wh- who, who, who from your neighborhood, who from your high school, who from your college can you then introduce as long as they have that blue collar work ethic and they're willing to be able to do, do a white collar job well? Mm-hmm. No, that's fantastic. Um, so really cool stories I want to share before we kind of wrap up. Uh, it's going to be a way for me to thank you, but also to teach a, a leadership lesson. So two awesome things Cindy did for me. She probably has no idea she did this. Uh, did it for me early on in my career. So I was a rookie loan officer. Then I you know, had my breakout year. Then I went to work for Cindy and her husband, Jeff, and they gave me my first opportunity to manage. So fantastic. Timing, not so, not, not so fantastic, but hey, we can't predict 2007, 2008. It just happened. We all dealt with it. Um, but you mentioned interviewing, like when you're at Wells Fargo and later it was American Home Mortgage that we worked together. Um, you know, you had interviewed hundreds and hundreds, but I still remember, I wish I remember the lady's name, but it was my first interview. And I love how you told me I was going to interview someone. It was like this, hey, Dustin, so-and-so is coming in today. You're going to interview her. And that was it. That was it. You let me get in there and I failed and I flopped and I floundered. Um, and in and, and, and hindsight, I look back, I'm like, oh, I know why Cindy did it, did it. She knew this person wasn't fitting the criteria. So you gave me someone to interview. You still let them come in. You still let me interview just so I had the at-bats. So still today, I use that with, with our management team or even our younger loan originators, even loan partners. Let them get out there and fail on their own because if you hired the right person, they're not going to accept that feeling that I had when that interview left. I'm like, oh, my God, was that a disaster? So I always appreciated that. Uh, the second thing is when the market was crashing, like, you know, literally the sky is falling. We're being told this awesome company that Cindy just left a fantastic job with Wells Fargo for. I just left all of my people to, to take on this opportunity that I didn't feel like I was going to get if I stayed. And the sky's falling. But when it fell, it was a matter of, of like what we did. And you were inclusive. Like I remember the day I was driving somewhere. I get a phone call. And it's you and it's Jeff, your husband. But he was also working uh, uh, in the branch. And you're like, hey, we're at Gators in Lake Mary. Why don't you come by? And I was like, all right, cool, I guess. Like, all right, it's like 7 p.m. I'm not used to this. And my big takeaway was the inclusiveness. Like you included me, right? You and Jeff were trying to figure out well, what's our next move. And instead of going out and making the move and just assuming your team was going to follow you, you're like, nah, we're going to reach out to our team. And maybe it was only certain key members of the team, but you included me. And that was the first time I felt included and like my opinion mattered. So ever since then, I'm like, you know what? I like that. I want to make sure that I'm empowering, giving autonomy and being inclusive in anything I do from a leadership standpoint. So for all the leaders out there, suggestion, if you're not including your key members in the, in the decisions that you're making, please consider it and maybe stop what you're doing and start doing that. Um, and also let your people fail. Mm-hmm. Let, let them get out there and just fall flat on their face. 
make sure it's with something that's not going to impact your reputation. Make sure it's something that's, you know, uh, not, not going to be detrimental. Mm -hmm. So rookie loan officers, I love for them to, to start on refis mm -hmm. and FISBOs. Yes. Like if you're a rookie loan officer or you're training a rookie loan officer, why I like a FISBO or for sale by owner, it's, um, I'm usually worried about the relationship. Mm -hmm. Don't screw up a relationship. Mm -hmm. Look, if, if you screw something up and we close a FISBO late by a week or two, I'm still going to feel bad, right? I'm still going to do what I can to make it right to the consumer, whether that's to give a lender credit, whether that's to pay for their hotel for a week, like paid their movers once before, but I don't have to worry about burning a relationship. Um, and you taught me that, but you taught me that by doing it, not by ever using, you know, your words, you used your actions. So thank you for that. Wow, that's interesting. Um, no, I didn't know either one of those particular events were as impactful as they were. Um, and I apologize if I put you in a bad position with the interview, but I think that you just, you have to fail forward. Yes. Right? And, and I think that people don't understand, uh, especially, you know, like, even with our kids nowadays, we like, you know, kind of put them in a, a rubber suit and we don't want them to ever just, you know, get a bruise. If they never know at, or learn at some point how to deal with failure, what is going to happen, right? How do they cope? So you have to learn how to cope, and those mechanisms somehow are really only taught when you experience it. Yep. And you know, so I mean, I see, and that's a that's a parent advice too. You know, you got to let your kids fail now and then. You know, oh, you must. It hurts your heart, but they they have to learn. You know. Yeah, so. we we had on this gentleman by the name of Brian Young, and Brian just launched. Um, I'm hoping to be the next fintech startup, mm -hmm. and and they're mortgage focused, mm -hmm. and um, young entrepreneur, but mad impressive. Like the awards he's won, I think this is his fifth company he's now started. Uh, just raised over a million dollars in in seed money for it, mm -hmm. and um, he and I were chatting like you and I are doing right now, and we just came up with yeah, it's a race to see who can fail the most, mm -hmm. the quickest. Mm -hmm. If you can fail the most, the quickest, assuming you're learning from your mistakes, assuming Correct. you're not accepting failure and you're striving to get better, mm -hmm. you will far outpace your peers mm -hmm. uh, tenfold because you're not afraid of the failure. And same thing goes parenting or even leading. You know, when you're leading, you have to let your people get out there and fail. I, I, I just said it, but I'll repeat it. Like I tell them, if I can throw money at it and fix it, it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. Now, it'll become a problem if I have to keep throwing money at it because you're right. not learning. But if, if I can't throw money at it and to fix it, it's a big problem. Like basically don't screw up a relationship. Mm -hmm. Don't say you're going to do something and then not, not do it. I can't fix that with money. That's correct. Right. But if you screw up a disclosure, I can throw a lender credit on it. Right. I mean, if you, heck, if you screw up calculating someone's DTI, I can probably get creative with the mortgage insurance in order to bring the payment down to bring the DTI down. But you can't, you can't go screw, you know, it's, 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 so I have to allow them to get out there and do it, get their hands dirty and, 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 and make mistakes. Right. So very true. Um, how about this theme of my show of this show? It's not mine. It's our show. Um, me, JC and everyone who tunes in and listens. So now you, cause you've been a guest. Uh, one of the themes is everything you should have learned in high school, but didn't mm -hmm. because it wasn't taught looking back on, on your career and all of the crazy successes that you've had and all the great failures you've had the, the opportunity to experience, what are some things that you wish were taught to you so maybe you didn't have to experience them? What are some conversations you wish were, were being had uh, in your household that if they were maybe had with you in your household, you would have uh, had a quicker learning curve in the business world? 
I think understanding the value of saving money pre-tax. Okay. Okay. Um, so some people don't jump on that opportunity with their first job and you need to do that because if you want to retire someday, that money is going to be there and grow, right? Um, so saving. And, and my, my parents were always very good about that. I mean, growing up in the Midwest is pretty conservative in that respect. Um, I think, uh, like, what did I not learn in high school? That's a, kind of a tough <laughs> question, really. Um, I, I think that through the school of hard knocks, you just realize that you got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and go back out there again the next day. Yeah, so That's maybe they harsh. should teach that in college. Maybe University of Florida, Florida State, UCF, Colorado State, you name that state university, mm-hmm. should teach a course right. called Hard Knocks 101. Yeah. I can remember days in the business when I was newly originating and, you know, that had this great pipeline. I was going to have a great closing month. And then next thing you know, somebody said, oh, I got a job transfer. And there goes one loan out. of the group. And then somebody else says, oh, we had a bad home inspection. And there goes another loan. And then before you know it, you, you don't have a great month anymore. And you're like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And instead of, you know, don't don't wallow in your own self-pity, oh, my God, what am I going to do? You go out and you get more business, right? So you just have to keep going. Awesome. I'm going to leave it at that. Keep going. Mm-hmm. You have to keep going. Cindy, so grateful that you came in today. Uh, we tried to do this a couple months ago. I had a little Achilles heel accident. I'm glad that you're doing better. You're back on the tennis courts. Yes. Um, if people are tuning in and you are in Central Florida and you are interested in finding out what your home is worth or you want to go buy a house. Can they reach out to you? Absolutely. Can they pick your brain on 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 how to get top value for selling their home or, or how best to buy a home in today's crazy market? Would love the opportunity. How would they get a hold of you? Um, best reached um, my cell phone number. Yeah. Yes, we'll share that. Um, it is 407-619-5869. 407-619-5869. Yes, um, reach out and happy to help you. I've lived in Central Florida since 84, so I know the area. And Dustin, thank you. And JC, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, it, no, it's, it's a, a very an honor to be on your show. No, thank Congrats you. Sh- shout out to to Casey mm-hmm. and Zenix. Yes. Uh, shout out to FBC Mortgage. Uh, good luck with with your your teaching. I know you said you have like twenty two people in your current class. Twenty two in the current. Class. Um, so that's lots of future leaders in our industry. So, hey, thank you, thank you for helping shape the future of our of our industry. Um, but she's Cindy Velez. I'm Dustin Owen, and you've tuned into the Loan Officer Podcast. We got to go. Peace.